few years ago, well, maybe about 10 years ago, I flew over to a large East Asian country to visit some of our missionaries. And uh, it was a great time. There were probably five or six of them who were all, you know, maybe from 25 to 35 that were serving the Lord in this other country. And one evening while I was there, they took me out to one of their favorite local restaurants. Great food, great time. And as the meal was wrapping up, I got up to use the restroom. And when I came back from the restroom, our table uh, that we had been sitting at was empty. All of them were gone. So I thought, well, they must have paid while I was in the bathroom and they've, they've left the restaurant. They're probably waiting for me outside. So I walked outside and nobody was there. And uh, it began to, to hit me. This was, again, before the days where everybody could easily get a hold of a cell phone uh, that would work internationally. I had no way to contact them. I did not know any of the language. I did not know even where we were. Uh, I did not know the address of the apartment that we were staying in, and I, I began to feel this rising sense of panic. I'm lost. I'm alone. Nobody within several blocks of here probably speaks my language, and I don't know which way they've gone, and I don't know how to find them. Just as I began to sweat and my heart began to pound, and I was looking up and down the street in a frenzy, they all emerged from behind a nearby van and began to laugh hysterically at me. And I laughed on the outside, but on the inside I thought, you people are the worst missionaries I've ever, I've ever run across. Not even just the worst missionaries, you are the worst people probably on the planet right now. I really was not a fan of what they had done to me. But as I, as I think back on that moment, I wonder if you've ever uh, experienced that kind of a moment uh, when you have engaged with or spoken to somebody from another culture, somebody from another racial group, somebody who speaks a different language. Maybe that kind of experience is what comes to your mind, in fact, when you think about the word missions. You think what it's going to be is a series of experiences where I feel out of my comfort zone, I feel off balance, where I am alone in a sea of faces that don't look like me. Maybe that fear pops up in your heart and your mind, even locally, anytime you find yourself having to engage with somebody who speaks differently, looks differently, acts differently from you. If we're honest, most of us would say we enjoy feeling comfortable. Most of us would not say that we really like the feeling of discomfort that follows along with having to move into somebody else's space. We don't like the discomfort that comes with having to proactively engage with people who may not share our value systems, our backgrounds, our language, or whatever it may be. It makes us feel awkward. It makes interactions difficult. And yet, and yet, you cannot read God's Word without recognizing that as the people of Jesus Christ, it's not just that it's a suggestion, something that would be nice 
for us to engage with people from all around the world, people who are of different tribes, tongues, peoples, and nations. It's not just a suggestion. It's not just something that is nice for us to do. You walk away when you read the Word of God with the idea that it is central to God's plan for us that we engage in, participate in, loving and reaching the nations and those who are different from we are. It's commanded. It is part of our discipleship process. And in fact, it is at the center of the gospel itself that what God wants to do, and he wants to use us to do it, what God wants to do is he wants to build, as Kenny said it just a few minutes ago, he wants to build a kingdom of men and women from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation who will one day worship him around his throne. So for us, if the idea of engaging with those who are not like us, whether that's here or whether that's overseas, if that idea makes us deeply uncomfortable, if we don't like it, the odds are good that we will read God's vision for his kingdom and we won't like it and we'll feel discomfort. Over the last several weeks, we've been talking in here about relationships, how God has called us to relate to other people. We've talked about marriage and parenting and friendship. This morning, we're going to talk about our relationship to the nations, to those who come from other places, whether they are in our midst or whether they are still living somewhere else across an ocean or in another country. And of course, one of the first questions that probably comes to your mind is, what does this have to do with a relationship series? I'm really glad you asked, because that's what we're going to talk about for just a moment. Let me share why we're covering this as part of a relationship series. First reason is this, because the nations are already in our midst. The nations are already here. Let me show you a couple of statistics from right here in our area of the country. At Texas A&M, this is from a couple of years ago. This was the most recent data I could find. 6,200 international students representing 131 countries. Most common countries that international students uh, originate from were India, China, South Korea, and Mexico. But there are 131 countries represented. Right here in the Brazos Valley, in Bryan College Station, 12% of the BCS population, that's almost 30,000 people, were born outside of the United States. Okay, about 12% of our population. Now, the reason I share that is because no matter what you think about politics or immigration policy or any of that, which, by the way, I'm not going to talk about today, But no matter what your opinions are, the reality is that the nations are already in our midst. Even if you say, I want to remain comfortable and insulated from those who are different from me, you're not going to be able to do that very effectively. Not in this community and not in this world. In fact, there are men and women in this room who originated somewhere else. If you want to be a part of the body of Christ, if you want to be a part of Grace Bible Church, there simply is no way to move forward as a disciple of Jesus Christ without wrestling with how do we connect and relate to those who are from somewhere else, those who are not like us, those who are from other nations, tribes, peoples, and languages. 
We have to do it. Not only are the nations in our midst, though, but our attitude toward the nations reflects our relationship with God. Our attitude toward the nations reflects our relationship with God. And we're going to see this here as we walk through the morning. As I mentioned a moment ago, it is absolutely a central part of God's character that not only did He create all the nations, but in fact, part of what He's doing, in fact, a central element of God's plan for the world is that He wants to bring people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation together one day to worship Him. God has always loved people from everywhere because every single person on the planet is made in the image of God, designed to reflect Him, designed to worship Him, and that includes you and me. So if we say, I want to relate to God, I want to know God deeply, I want my life to reflect the character of God, there's no way for us to do that without wrestling with how do we relate to the nations? How do we relate to those who come from somewhere else? To those who don't look like us, think like us, speak like us? So the nations are in our midst, and our attitude toward the nations reflects our relationship with God. And again, what I'm talking about this morning really has nothing to do with your views on public policy, but everything to do with what does the Scripture say about how we engage with other people made in the image of God? How do we engage with the great commission that Jesus gave us, which we'll look at in a few minutes? So so it's deeply connected to a relationship series, both how we relate to other people in our neighborhoods, in our community, in our workplaces, and around the world, and then also how we relate to God. Do we want to be people who reflect the heart of God? of God. Our attitude toward the nations reflects our relationship with God. So let me offer a few principles then this morning that we see in the scripture regarding the nations and regarding the men and women of the nations. And here's the first one. God loves the nations. God loves the nations. I mentioned a moment ago the Great Commission. The Great Commission was the very last words that Jesus said before He ascended into heaven. If you're unfamiliar with the Great Commission, you can find it in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus' disciples are gathered around Him after He's risen from the dead, and He says to them, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So here's what's significant about this. Jesus died for our sin. Jesus rose again. Now, if you were a Jewish person living in the first century, which all of Jesus' disciples were, Your belief was the Messiah belongs to us. The Messiah was promised to our forefather Abraham, and he is coming for people like us. People who are descendants of Abraham, people who live in this nation, people who keep our cultural practices and our religious practices. But right here, Jesus says, actually, what the plan was, was that the Messiah would come to the Jewish people. And then the message of the Messiah would spread out from there to all the nations on the planet. And one of the things that often surprises people or that we don't think about a lot when we read this 
is that you and I are the nations. Okay, when the Bible talks about the nations, it's not talking about those who are not Americans. It's actually talking about those who did not originate amongst Abraham's descendants. So when we talk about the nations, the reason you and I are here, the reason we are worshiping God together this morning is because those first disciples took Jesus' commission seriously. And as you read the history of what the disciples did, they spread out from there. And they went to the nations surrounding Israel and to the farthest ends of the earth eventually to share the gospel. And eventually the gospel makes its way to Africa and then into Europe and then from there over to the United States where we are beneficiaries of men and women who said, God has a heart, not just for people like us, but for all of the nations of the world. And the other thing that might surprise you is this wasn't new with Jesus. It's easy for us to think, well, in the Old Testament, though, it was all about the nation of Israel. Right? But what we begin to see as we read through the Scripture, and it starts in Genesis, is that God had a heart for the nations from the very beginning. The covenant that God made with Abraham. Abraham is the first Israelite, the father of the Jewish nation. God makes a covenant with Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm going to multiply your descendants. They're going to be like the sand on the seashores. They're going to be like the stars in the sky. I'm going to bless them greatly. And then look at Genesis chapter 26. He says, Abraham, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and I will give your descendants all these lands. Now look at this. By your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham, it's going to start with your people, and it's going to spread to the farthest corners of the earth. David, in Psalm 86, says this, There is no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. David says, God, all the nations you made, they're going to one day come and worship you. I've just shared with you two passages. There are dozens and dozens of passages like this in the Old Testament. If I shared all of them, we would run out of time just reading the passages. From the very beginning of God's saving plan, part of His plan is men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered together to worship God. So here's why I am harping on this for a moment. It is this, because if God loves the nations and we want to know God and we want to serve God, then we have to love them also. If we want to know and serve and love God, then we have to love and know and serve and engage with the nations. I was thinking this week how several years ago, I happened to go to the dentist, and my dentist, I don't know about yours, my dentist likes to ask me questions while his fingers are in my mouth. Uh, sometimes, in fact, he asks me um, philosophical or theological questions. He knows that I'm a pastor. So he'll be like, what do you think about intelligent design and the flow of Genesis? And I'm like, I don't know that. You know, my answers are always deeply eloquent, but totally incomprehensible, except to him. He seems to be able to understand. So one day I'm at the dentist, and he's got his fingers in there, and, and he says, hey, what are some of your favorite books? And so I begin as best as I can to share with him uh, my favorite uh, books and literature as I'm, as I'm talking with his hands there. And uh, he says, what about your wife? What is Shannon's favorite book? And, and I, I said, well, it's Pride and Prejudice. 
by Jane Austen. And he says, oh, have you read it? And I said, no. And he goes, that's unacceptable. He says, if it's your wife's favorite book, you need to pick it up and read it. Because if you love her, you need to also love and care about the things that she loves and cares about. I thought, man, that's just fantastic advice from my dentist. And he did not charge me a dime extra for the advice. But you know what? I went home and I took his advice. I read the book and I I liked it. I actually then watched the five-hour BBC version of Pride and Prejudice, which was less fun than the book. But what was his point? If she loves something and you love her, learn to love what she loves. If we say we love God and God loves something, then we are called to love those things God loves. And Kenny mentioned it a few minutes ago, but part of God's great plan, I mean, it culminates in this beautiful scene in Revelation chapter 5, and we'll see it again in Revelation chapter 7. There's a group of elders and angels gathered around the throne, and there's this, this scroll, this book that lays out the judgments of God that are coming, and they can't find anybody worthy to open the scroll. Then, of course, Jesus shows up. And they say to Jesus, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you, Jesus, you were slain. And what did you do? You purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. God loves the men and women from all the nations so much that he paid for us with the blood of his son. We've been purchased. God loves the nations. God has always loved the nations. And so we are called to love the nations. And we are also then commanded to make disciples among the nations. We saw this passage a few moments ago, so I won't read it all again. Matthew chapter 28. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is a command. It's not the great suggestion. It's not the great idea. It's the great commission. It's a command. If we want to follow God, If we want to love the things that God loves, we are called to make disciples. And I want to be clear, again, none of us earns our salvation by sharing the gospel, by loving the nations, by caring for those even from the nations in our midst. Salvation is a free gift. Jesus purchased us with his death and resurrection. And all we do in order to receive eternal life is believe in him. But if we want to walk with Him, if we want to know Him deeply, if we want to be a part of His plan for the world, this is a command. It's not optional. Several weeks ago, in an attempt to shore up the chore doing at our home, my wife created a chart that she put on the door, and I apologize, I don't know how well you can see that from back there, but uh, the title is the Mighty Morton's Chore Chart of Destiny. And... uh, (laughs) 
She placed it on the door in our kitchen as you go out into the garage. Oh, there it is. It's a little clearer. And you can see everybody's name is there, including our names and a list of the chores that everybody's supposed to do on a particular day of the week. And at the very top, uh, number one up there is you cannot have any screen time, friend time, or sweets until all of the chores are completed. And then number two is that uh, if you have to be reminded, then you go back to number one, and number one applies if if you don't take initiative to do the chores. Now, I see that, and here's what I thought is, you know, these are not suggestions, right? The kids can't look at this chart and say, you know what, mom and dad, I will take that under advisement. I will consider whether I ought to do it. That's not acceptable, nor can they say, dad, I've been thinking about it. Dishes is not my spiritual gift. (laughs) Screen time is my gift right? They can't do that. It's not a suggestion. These are commands. So is the Great Commission. And I think all too often we say, you know what, my, my gift isn't evangelism. My gift isn't teaching. I feel uncomfortable going to other places. I feel uncomfortable with those who don't look like me, speak like me, think like me. Therefore, I'm going to take a pass. You don't have that option. Now, even in the early church, I will say this, that the disciples participated in the Great Commission in different ways. Not everybody participated in the same way. So not not all of the apostles became full-time missionaries who traveled around and planted churches or went somewhere else for the rest of their lives. There were some of them that stayed in Jerusalem, but they were not disengaged from this commission. So Peter, for example, although he stayed in Jerusalem for most of his ministry, he was still called at times to go to the Gentiles. In fact, Peter is one of the first guys that we see in the book of Acts going to share Jesus with a Gentile, a man named Cornelius. And so even though Peter didn't spend most of his life somewhere else, he was still engaged in the commission. James, Jesus' brother, although he stayed in Jerusalem until he was martyred, he was still engaged in the praying and the sending and the giving to those who were going. I have a pastor friend who has said it this way, you are either giving or you are going or you are being disobedient. We don't have a choice. If we want to participate in what God is doing and we want to know it, Jesus commanded us to make disciples. So the question is not whether we'll engage in this task. The question is how and when. And we're going to talk in a few minutes about some very tangible ways for each of us to participate. Jesus commanded us to make disciples. And then I want to point this out. It's a principle from the Scripture, and it is this. God has blessed us to be a blessing to others. God has blessed us to be a blessing to others. Now, as you read through the Old Testament and then in the New Testament, you see this very clearly in relation to the nation of Israel. But I'm going to expand the application a little bit this morning. Here was the essence of what the Scripture said to the people of Israel. The Scripture and God would say to them, you have been given the knowledge of God. You have been given the law. You have been given blessing upon blessing from God. And you know what you're supposed to do with that blessing. You are required now to bless others from the nations. Why? Because that's the heart of God. Psalm chapter 67 
The psalmist says, God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Why? That your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. What does the psalmist say? He says, God, we want you to bless us. But why? So that all the nations will come together and they will praise you. We are blessed to be a blessing. Now, this principle gets expanded as you move to the New Testament. I want you to look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says to the church in Corinth, you will be enriched in every way. Why? So that you may be generous on every occasion, which is producing through us thanksgiving to God. Here's the point I really want to make. If, if you and I have been given anything, anything, we have been given what God has given us, so that we can be a blessing to those who don't have it yet. And so God God has called us, He has redeemed us in Jesus Christ if we've trusted in Him, and then He has lavished on us the blessings of the Spirit and the truth of the gospel and the ability to sit in this room and to worship Him. But the reason He did that is not simply so that we can gather together the knowledge and the understanding and the relationships and the comfort that will make us feel good, but so that we can be a blessing engaged in the Great Commission. I've told you before, when I was in high school, I worked at Chick-fil-A in my hometown. And one of my jobs at Chick-fil-A was to hand out the little chicken nugget samples. So I would stand out in front of the restaurant and hand them out on a toothpick. And this was back in the day when not as many people knew of Chick-fil-A. So to some people, it was kind of a new thing. In fact, some people were afraid of it. They would not take the chicken and they would kind of go, no, no, thank you. They thought there was some sort of a trick in the chicken, I guess. But it, was, but it was interesting. They gave me an entire platter of these chicken nuggets. And they said, what do we want you to do? We want you to distribute them to others. What, what did I not have the option of doing? I, did, I couldn't take the platter and run away and eat them all myself. Now, they were generous to me. They let me have lunch on my break. They gave me a free sandwich on my break. But this tray they gave me, why? To give to others. I mean, that amount of Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets is a blessing, an order of magnitude that most of us can't even imagine, right? Hundreds of chicken nuggets. But why was I given it? To give them away. And here's the biblical principle. Everything we've been given, God has given us to use in the service of His kingdom. That includes, as we've talked about before, our time, our money, our health, the gospel itself. Here's where where I'm going to talk about our specific situation for just a moment. Historically, the United States has been greatly blessed to be able to have religious freedom and access to the gospel almost anywhere you could go. In this country, I looked this up this week, there is roughly one church for about every 1,000 people. Some areas of the country, it's higher than that, like Texas. Other areas, it's lower than that. 
one church for roughly every 1,000 people. And if you have a hard time finding a church, you can turn on one of the 3,000 Christian radio stations and probably hear a preacher or hear the gospel at some point. And if you don't have a radio, you can go on the internet and you can listen to one of the thousands of preachers who are preaching the gospel in your language. And if you don't have a computer, maybe you can flip on a TV any Sunday morning and you can watch a preacher share the gospel. Everywhere you go in this country, the gospel is ubiquitous and easy to find. You can hardly get away from it. But the reality is that there are places across the globe where that is far from the case. There are places across the globe where the gospel is hard to find, where it's rare. Where if somebody says, I want to hear the gospel, I want to find a church, they might not be able to find one either because it's illegal or because the cultural pressure against the gospel is so strong that there is no visible church in their country or amongst their people. I want to show you a map for just a second. This is from a group called the Joshua Project. And again, I apologize that it's a little fuzzy. But what I want to show you is what they have done is they have, they have gone through and they've identified all the different what they call people groups in the world. A people group is just it's a group of people who share the same language, the same culture. They are people that would say, if you are like this, you are us. You are one of us. If you are not like this in terms of how you talk, in terms of how you dress, in terms of your culture, you're somebody else, right? So we all have a people group. They've gone through and they've identified which are the people groups that are the least reached in terms of the gospel. And the way they define that is roughly less than 2% of their people group knows Jesus and has believed in the gospel, about less than 2%. And if you look, there's this this one area, and I'm going to try to See if I can highlight it here with, no, I can't. All of the red area that you see, and you see certainly India, there are, there are hundreds of them. China, there are hundreds of them. And then across North Africa, all of that area there where you see a lot of red, those are areas where the gospel largely has not reached yet. Men and women that, that even if they said, I want to learn about Jesus, in their place, in their culture, where they are, they're going to have a hard time. Some of those places, the estimated percentage of Christians is 0%. Some of those places, it's a fraction of a percent. What I found remarkable also as I looked at this map was that some of those places, some of those people are actually here. Some of those people have moved here to Bryan College Station to go to school, to work, to be a part of our community. What an opportunity, but also what a responsibility. We also have friends from our church, from Creekside, men and women who have decided that they want to go and spend their time, spend their days, maybe spend their lives in a spot where the gospel has not penetrated. And so we have both been given a huge privilege and blessing to have the gospel alongside a real responsibility to give, to pray, and maybe to go. And it may be that, that as, as you think about this map, as you think about God's plan, you might be convicted that you need to go, either for a short period of time or a long period of time. 
But it might also be that you, you say, you know what, I know that in my workplace, in my neighborhood, in my community, at my favorite restaurant, wherever it is, I know there are people who are coming from somewhere where they may not have heard Jesus, and they don't know him. And although my instinct is, I want to remain comfortable, I want to remain amongst those that I feel the most affinity with, God might be calling us to engage very deliberately, very intentionally, for the sake of the gospel. We have been blessed to bless others. If you have anything, it's because God gave it to you and has called us then to use it for his kingdom. And then the last point I want to make this morning is this. When you and I engage in this task, it's going to deepen our worship. It's going to deepen our love for God. I think in ways that if you've not ever really participated in missions around the world or in sharing the good news of Jesus with those from other cultures, other nations, other tribes, if you've never engaged in that, it's hard to imagine how deeply it can transform your relationship to God. How you begin to see what God is doing around the world in a whole different light. How you begin to see that the way that God speaks to me might not be the way that God speaks to somebody from a different nation. The way that God led me to Jesus might look totally different to somebody else. You begin to see the power and the creativity and the strength of God and the reality of the gospel in a way that you, you might not otherwise experience. You begin to understand that the good news of Jesus Christ is not just an American thing, but that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ applies to people at all times, in all places, from all people groups, because it's true. And I know that in my life, when I have engaged in this task, it's transformed my worship and my walk with Jesus. I remember the first mission trip I ever went on. It was to Guatemala. I watched Spanish television for about six weeks before. I had taken Spanish in school, but I thought that it would help me to watch the Spanish soap operas so that I could learn how to speak Spanish more fluently. And it actually surprisingly helped, although I was much more dramatic in my words than... <laughs> than I otherwise might have been. But, but, but I, I planned and I prepared and I prayed and I raised money to go as a high school student. And I remember going and engaging in this work project, but then I still remember this moment. Somewhere I have a picture. I was not able to find it. Somebody snapped a picture where I was, I was able to share the gospel of Jesus with a young woman. And, and I was able to share it with her in her language. And I saw her when I said, would you like to believe in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins and eternal life? And she nodded. And then we knelt on the ground right there and we prayed. And I saw her move from death to life. But God did something in me too to help me see that I have been called to be a part of what God is doing all around the world. And that God is at work, not just here, but everywhere. Let me show you a couple of passages about God's glorious plan for the nations. This is Revelation 7. After these things I looked, and here was an enormous crowd that no one could count, made up of persons from every nation, tribe, tongue, 
a tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb dressed in long white robes and with palm branches in their hands. They were shouting out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, to the one seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. I love this passage, and here's why. All throughout the book of Revelation, the Apostle John is very precise with his, with his numbers. You've got 144,000 here. You've got 24 here. All of a sudden, he gets to this scene, and there's all these people gathered around the throne. And, and John looks at it, and I picture him going, one, two, whatever, more than you can count. So many people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, part of God's plan from the beginning of time, Worshiping around the throne of God, salvation belongs to our God, not the God of Israel, not the God of America, the God of the entire universe, the one seated on the throne, and to the Lamb who was slain. Paul in Acts chapter 17 is on mission in Greece. Amongst those who are not Jewish, these are Gentile men and women, and I love what he says about God's plan. He says, from one man, God made every nation of the human race to inhabit the entire earth, determining their set times and the fixed limits of the places where they would live. Why? So that they would search for God and perhaps grope around for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. God has placed each person where he wants them so that they will find him if they seek him. And so as we engage in the process of caring about, praying for, and sharing the good news with those from the nations, we're going to begin to have a deeper understanding and experience of what God is doing in all of history and all around the world to draw men and women to Him. It will revolutionize and change our walk with Him. So then as we close very practically. Let me offer a few ways for each of us to participate. First one is simply this, pray, pray. If you have um, a particular area of the world, or maybe you've got a coworker that says they're from some particular place where you know that they didn't hear the gospel, or maybe you happen to know a missionary or two, write their name down. Wherever you think about or write down the things you pray for, write their name down, write their nation down. If you remember when we had the Every Knee initiative uh, originally over the last couple of years, we wrote down cities and nations on that board, as well as people that we want to pray for to come to know Jesus. If you can go back and remember what you wrote on that board and begin to pray fervently and faithfully that the gospel of Jesus Christ would reach to places that it has not yet gone. Secondly, give. Give. Um, I know uh, there are numerous Grace Bible Church uh, missionaries, and uh, I know that there's even one couple here uh, that is raising support to go uh, overseas um, in the next several months. So because of security reasons, I'm not going to talk about them right now and where they're going, but if you're interested, you can come and talk with me. We can give you a variety of different ways that you can use the financial resources God has given you to reach the nations. Thirdly, engage. Engage. I think at the moment, certainly our nation and our culture are in the grip of, of fear and sort of a tribalism that keeps us from engaging with those who are different. I would encourage us, again, regardless of your politics, 
wherever you are at work, wherever you are in your neighborhood, wherever you are in this community, build relationships intentionally with those who are from other places who may not know the name of Jesus. And then fourthly, go, go. It may be that God will call some of you in this room, as crazy as it sounds, to go overseas long term. But if you say, you know what, I don't know that I'm ready for that step, or you just say, I know that that God has called me to be here, let me at least encourage you to consider going on one of our short-term trips. I'm going to show you a slide. This has several possible trips on it, both for families and youth and college. I want to particularly this morning point out, you may or may not know, June 2nd through 7th, Uh, Creekside, we have a trip to Belize where we will be participating in Vacation Bible School amongst some of the kids who are there. It's a trip that uh, parents can go as well as kids, um, you know, of a certain age. If you sense that your kid is mature enough and able to work uh, somewhat independently, uh, then they can also come with you. We have some people already signed up. I'm going to go on this trip. My son is going to go on this trip uh, as well uh, this summer. I would encourage you to consider that. Um, Bill Riggs is standing at the back of the room. He is helping to lead the trip. If you're interested in this trip, let me encourage you, go talk to Bill this morning. The sign-up deadline is at the end of February, and we really are trying to get a sense of how many people are going, how many people are interested. I would really encourage you this summer, take the four or five days, if, you, if in any way you can, and consider going to a place where we'll have the opportunity to serve and to share the gospel. So pray, give, engage, and go. Because God loves the nations and he's called us to participate in sharing the good news. Let me pray for us and then we're going to close in worship. Father, we are so thankful for the morning and for the good news of Jesus Christ. We are thankful that when we look, we're just in awe that you made the nations, you made us, you've given us more than we deserve or need and you've entrusted us with the gospel. So we pray we would be faithful. Father, we pray that you would stir our hearts to care about the things you care about, beginning here and spreading to the ends of the earth. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.